Ash Wednesday is the day set aside in the church's calendar to address the elephant in the room. The elephant in every room. Sin. Sin sets the tone for Ash Wednesday. So, of course, it's a service which is uh, usually slightly less well attended than our Sunday services. People don't like to be confronted with the reality of sin in their lives on a regular basis. But you, each of you here tonight, are very blessed to be here this Ash Wednesday because you understand something of what the church is for, something of what it's about. 1 Peter 4 verse 17 says that judgment, God's judgment, begins with God's household, the church. That's you and I. On Ash Wednesday, the church recognizes that God has a case against us. And we throw ourselves onto his mercy. We put ourselves in the firing line first. But we do so as the body of Christ, as representatives of Jesus in the world. So we put ourselves in the firing line first on behalf of all people, on behalf of everyone, not just those of us here gathered tonight. The church then is the group of disciples of Jesus who take upon themselves the sin of the world, not in the same way that Jesus did, of course, but they do so in confession, in contrition, in repentance, in penitence, and in confessing that God is our judge and has every right to be our judge. On Ash Wednesday, the church takes on the judgment of all people of the world. We confess not only our sins, but the sins of those not here. Not just those not in our church community who aren't here, but those who aren't part of our church community. Those who aren't anywhere near the church. We confess the sins of the world. And in doing so, we are modeling what it means uh, when the reformers use the Latin phrase, and because it's Latin, you know it must be important, so listen up. Simul justus et peccator. I probably said that wrong. And this basically means we represent God's simultaneously sinful, yet forgiven and justified people. We represent God's simultaneously sinful, yet forgiven and justified people. So your role here tonight, each of us, what we're doing tonight is important. It matters. It's significant, not just for us, but for God's entire world. And given the spirit of uh, contrition and penitence on Ash Wednesday, let me tell you my confession, one of my confessions. When I first uh, reconverted to the Christian faith uh, around a decade ago, I was working as a manager in a coffee shop uh, in my hometown in Worthing. And I worked with a couple of guys, uh, a couple of uh, uh, chefs, who, um, if, you, if any of you have worked in professional kitchens, you'll know that chefs are a very peculiar and particular kind of people. Uh, they're very boisterous, to say 
the least. And at that time uh, that I reconverted to Christian faith, I was, I was pretty full of, of zeal, religious zeal, you might call it. And I would spend my lunch breaks making sure I was in view of everyone, reading the kind of back catalogue of C.S. Lewis uh, for all to see. And, and I would sometimes go into the little private meeting room off in one corner and get down on my knees and, and really pray for everyone there. Secretly, I think, hoping that someone would walk in and see me in all my pious glory and they would have a moment and be converted on the spot. But I had these two friends there, these two chefs, and I won't uh, call them by their real names just in case they're listening. We'll call them um, uh, uh, Gary Saucepan and S- Steve Knifeblock. And they were a bit like a comedy duo, these, these two. They, they were stuck at the hip. They did everything together. They worked together. They lived together. They were heavily tattooed from head to toe. They described themselves as metal heads, which if you don't know what that means, it means you're very much into metal music. Um, and uh, they, they loved to challenge me on my faith, on my newfound faith. So we would have conversations that would go on for hours, back and forth for hours throughout the working day, which would normally either end in some kind of snide, holier-than-thou remark from me when I got backed into a corner and didn't quite know the answer. I like to know the answers to things, so I get a little bit panicky when I don't. So don't don't put me on the spot. Um, Or it would be some kind of crude joke from them that would end it. But the main thing was is that we, we loved it. It was really, really fun. I look back on that time with such fondness and joy, having those conversations, kind of sharpening each other. We had a lot of fun. That is, until one day, we inevitably got onto the subject of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I I trumped. The axis of good and evil runs through every human heart, I quipped. Fancying myself a kind of mini Solzhenitsyn, thinking I was some Russian philosopher. And finally, one of them, uh, uh, um, Gary Saucepan, getting a little bit hot under the collar, uh, couldn't take it anymore, and he protested. So he, he said, so you're just trying to tell me that deep down, no matter what I do, I'm just a bad person. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. I'm not hurting anyone. I occasionally do or say things maybe that I shouldn't, but I'm not a bad person. I don't deserve to be judged. I don't deserve to be damned. And he flat out refused to acknowledge that he was ever culpable for anything worthy of judgment. And this became something of a recurring theme in our conversations. We still had fun. That was the important thing. But this came up time... And time again, needless to say, uh, I was an absolute fool for thinking that I could convince my friend that there was a God who loved them, had a plan for them, by pointing out that they were a sinner. I was a fool. I argued with hubris, not with love and grace. And I'm pleased to say I... I think I've outgrown that kind of nervous need to prove myself and my faith in front of others. But I do repent of that. So thank you for hearing my confession. My sin is ever before me. Surely I was sinful even at my birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The psalmist 
laments. This kind of self-flagellating hyperbolic contrition on display in Psalm 51 might shock us a little. It might make us think, like my chef friend, you know, I'm not hurting anyone or everybody else is doing it. Nobody has to know. It's not anybody's business. Or at least I'm not half as bad as the next guy. But the psalmist also has this other curious line in Psalm 51, the Ash Wednesday Psalms, it's sometimes known. He says, against you, against God only have I sinned. Against you only have I sinned. And that's because the psalmist realizes that sin is not an ethical concept. Sin is not an ethical concept. It's not about doing the right or wrong things. Sin is not about doing the right or wrong things. Sin is a theological concept. Theology being talk about God. Sin only makes sense in the context of a conversation about God. Sin is only understood to be sin when God is understood to be God. In other words, we only realize what sin is when we recognize who God is. As we've been singing tonight, holy. I was never going to convince my friend, my colleague that I worked with, that there was a God who loved him by pointing to his sins. And after all, the biblical notion of sin is much more expansive than just the the things that you or I do that are right or wrong. It's much bigger, it's much broader and wider than that. The biblical notion of sin is that it's much more like a cosmic power at work in the world. It has a stranglehold on humanity. Sin is part of that unholy trinity with death and the devil. Sin is a power at work in the world. This sin is an offense to the author of creation. This power is an offense to God. This is what we see writ large in in the throes of human history. This kind of sin at work in the world. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the slave trade in our own country, National Socialism in Germany, apartheid in South Africa, Racist lynchings in America. Genocide in Rwanda. And even now, in the unjustified and certainly contrary to what the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church says, unholy war, which reaches its grisly milestone of one year in just two days' time in the country of Ukraine. These are evidence of the crippling weight, the power of sin. That is what we address tonight. I've also realized in some way that my my chef friend, he was right. That God literally doesn't give a damn about our sins. God doesn't give a damn about our sins. No, God gives a son for our sins. The most common way of thinking about God is that God uh, rewards us 
when we do good and punishes us when we sin. And in that case, the uh, famous neurologist Sigmund Freud was right when he said that God is simply the projection onto the sky of our interior, the projection of our own feelings, the projection of our own desires, and especially of all the projection of our own shame, the projection of our own guilt. God is nothing more than that. But this petty kind of God that rewards us when we're faithful and punishes us when we're sinful is not the God revealed in Jesus Christ. At least that's not the God that I believe in, and neither should you. God, Jesus tells us again and again, isn't like that. God is not like Santa Claus who keeps a list of who's naughty or who's nice. That's just the view of God that sin tells us we should have. That's a hell's eye view of God. We think of heaven as the place where saints go when they die. And hell is the place where sinners go when they die. But that's to get it all wrong. No one gets into heaven by their own efforts. By definition, only sinners go to heaven. Because only Jesus justifies. You see, sin skews our perspective of God. It's a lens through which we view God obliquely at an angle. God's blurred. He's fuzzy. He's distorted out of recognition. Sin changes our view of God into a punitive, retributive, dispassionate, uncaring God. But the good news about sin is that it doesn't change God's view of us. Sin changes our view of God, but it does not change God's view of us. Sin doesn't change God. The way this is spoken about is that God is immutable. God doesn't transmute from one uh, state to another. God does not change. Our sin does not change God. Our sin changes us. Just look at the parable that Jesus told in Luke's gospel. After this debauched son goes and squanders his family's inheritance and finds himself wanting, he thinks of himself as no longer worthy to be called his father's son, saying that he would just go and ask to be treated like one of his hired servants instead. No longer worthy to be thought of as his father's son. And the question is, the Ash Wednesday question is, where did that son get the idea that that was what his father was like? That his father would have treated him in accordance with his sinful actions. We're given no indication that that is what the father is like. Quite the opposite. You see, the son's sin alters the way that he views his father. It alters the way that he views his whole relationship with his father. Instead of seeing himself as the beloved son of a father who loves unconditionally, without condition, no strings attached, he sees himself as one who gets what was coming to him, as one who gets what he deserves. But that isn't who his father is is. His father hasn't changed. The son's sin has changed 
how he views his father. Sin changes our perspective of God. It makes God out to be a wage master, an auditor, or a judge who weighs our deeds against us. Sin turns God into a kind of accuser, which if you're familiar with the book of Job, you'll know that Satan is given the name accuser. Sin turns God into a Satan who damns us. Freud was right. That God is a caricature drawn by sin. That is not who God is. God doesn't give a damn literally about your sin. It's because of see, because of sin that we see God as damning. Because of the dams we dole out to others, we think of God as damning. God isn't angry at you because of your sin. Rather, because of your sin, you see God as angry. Because the currency we pay others in is tit-for-tat retribution. That's how we think of God, as meeting out the punishments we deserve. But the humble God revealed in Jesus Christ relentlessly absorbs all of our hatred, all of our cruelty, our violence, our selfishness, our fear. God takes it all into his own body and carries it away into death. This God responds to the crosses that we build with empty tombs. This God responds to the crosses that we build with empty tombs. And the psalmist knows this in Psalm 51. We look again at that opening verse. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. The love, forgiveness, and grace of God precedes our repentance, our confession, our contrition. While we were still sinners, writes St. Paul, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Tonight is a night of confession, of self-examination, a time to bring our own sins and the sins of the world before God to be redeemed, to be touched by his healing hands and turned into future victories. Tonight is a night to confess our complicity in the power of sin, in the structures of sin. To offer them to God to be overcome, reconciled, and made right. So we don't come tonight to confess in order that we might receive forgiveness. We come tonight rather because we are already forgiven. That's why we come to confess. We don't come to receive a smear of ashes because we wish to be free from sin, but rather because we have been set free from sin. We bear the sign of the cross on our foreheads. 
And we really are free. We're free. We're free to put down our defenses and our barricades. We don't need to try and squirm off the hook. We're free from having the compulsion to lie to ourselves and others that everything is okay. We're free to put down the charade of uh, the pretense of uh, someone finding out that maybe we're not really who we say we are. We are free. And we are free tonight to pray out of that forgiveness, out of that love, out of that grace. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And we are free tonight to fall straight into the loving embrace of God in his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to us with arms outstretched, waiting for us to come home. Amen.